Well, good evening, everyone. Um, it's a real privilege for me just to have this opportunity to bring God's Word to you all this evening and the sermon. Um, time spent in God's Word with you all just brings me so much joy, whether that's been from here in the pulpit in the past or in small groups or even just informally discussing the things of God. So thank you. Um, and it's my hope and prayer that this will be a helpful and encouraging time in the Word together this evening. Um, our text for this evening is 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 17. Um, it'll be helpful for you to have that open with you uh, in your Bibles there or on your device just to help you track along with where we're at this evening. Um, our text is a short one, just four verses, but I trust that there'll be lots in there for us to learn from it. And you'll see as you look at those verses that the text really centers on God's word, on the scriptures. And Paul here seems to be communicating to Timothy that these scriptures have been and will be essential as Timothy presses on with his Christian life. And we've seen in the letter so far that Timothy has been tasked with taking forward the gospel baton. Um, he's been tasked with cultivating godliness, godly character in a hostile and ungodly world. He's been tasked with persevering, with pressing on, with completing the good works that God has laid before him. And the scriptures have been and will be essential for him as he lives out this calling. And we'll see too that God's word will be essential for us if we're to be those who live flourishing, godly Christian lives and if we live out the lives that God has called us to. Um, so this will be our main point, really, for the sermon this evening, one that we'll aim to keep referring back to, this idea that God's word is essential for a flourishing, healthy, godly life for us as Christians. God's word is essential for a flourishing, healthy, godly life. But off the back of that main point, it's important to ask, why is it that we can equate the life of godliness with a life of flourishing? Why is it that we flourish most as people when we're most godly? Well, the reason for that is the fruit of sin is a bitter fruit. And in contrast, the fruit of godliness is sweet and leads to life. Sin leads to death and decay. Our sin has consequences that are unpleasant. Our sins trip us up. But in contrast, the fruit of righteousness, of godliness, the fruit of the Spirit, they're sweet. That love, joy, peace, patience, etc., that's the life of flourishing, the life that we were created to live. So the life of godliness, the sweet life of flourishing, um, is what is ours, and God can graciously bring that forth in us through the Scriptures. And it's my hope and prayer that that's what we see this evening in the text. But a question just for us to be examining ourselves at the outset as well. Let's be asking ourselves this evening, what is our relationship with God's word like at the minute? Do we view Bible reading as essential in the Christian life? Or do you think subtly we sometimes maybe live as though it's important for theologians or pastors to know their Bibles well? But actually for us as, you know, everyday, average, run-of-the-mill Christians, maybe Bible reading's become a bit of an optional extra for us. Do we look at Bible reading actually as though it's a really good way to use some spare time and, you know, we'll try to get to it more, but really we don't have very much spare time these days? And well, it's my hope and prayer that tonight we'll be reminded that whether we're in our first decade or our tenth decade, 
God's word is essential every step of the way in our Christian lives and that we'll flourish as Christians whatever we're facing if we make Bible reading a priority in our lives. Uh, But before we just launch in and look at those four verses that make up our text, we'll just briefly recap the story so far in this second letter of Timothy, and that's just so we can orientate ourselves in the letter as a whole. Um, Second Timothy, as we'll have seen if we've been here in recent weeks, it's the last of Paul's letters, and we see elsewhere in the letter that he wrote the letter from prison. Paul anticipated his death imminently at this point, and so there's a real tone of urgency through this letter. And the letter contains Paul's final instructions to his understudy, the younger Timothy, who was to be tasked with overseeing many young churches, particularly in and around Ephesus. And Timothy was then tasked with guarding the gospel in this letter, with suffering for the name of Christ, with remaining godly in in a sea of surrounding ungodliness, and then with remaining faithful to the end in his ministry. So those are really the major themes of the letter, this idea of preserving the purity of the gospel message, pursuing a countercultural godliness, and persevering faithfully in what we have learned and know to be true as Christians. And God's word is really what sort of underpins how God does those works in, in our Christian lives. But let's now come to consider our text for this evening. This verses 14 to 17 of 2 Timothy 3. And to help us to see our main point in the text, that main point that God's word is essential for a flourishing, healthy, godly life, I thought it'd be helpful to just break down our time in the text into three sections. So um, we'll consider number one uh, in these verses, a reminder from the past. Uh, Number two, an exhortation for the present. And number three, an encouragement for the future. And we'll come to see that Paul reminds Timothy of the importance of what he learned of God in the past and of the significance of this for his life and his ministry now and going forward. And he exhorts him to see the importance of God's word in the present and then of the significance of this for his life and ministry going forward. And then thirdly, we'll look just at how Paul encourages Timothy to continue on into the future, remaining faithful not swerving from the sound, healthy teaching that's found in the scriptures. So hopefully that we outline will be helpful for you just as we work our way through this text and its implications for us here at Great Vic. Uh, So section number one then, a reminder from the past. Um, Paul reminds Timothy of the significance of God's word in his past. And you'll see that if you look with me now at verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we read there, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we see here that Paul reminds Timothy that what he has learned and firmly believed in the past is very important as he takes the gospel baton from Paul and presses on with his life and ministry. And so we ask, from whom has Timothy learned the gospel? Um, Well, as we thought about last Sunday night, Timothy has learned of the apostolic gospel from Paul, and he is to continue in what Paul has taught him. And you'll see that if you look at verse 10 
of 2 Timothy 3, what we really see there is that Timothy is, con- is to continue following Paul in his teaching and living in accordance with the gospel in enduring trials with steadfastness in cultivating gospel fruit like patience and love. Timothy is to continue in the pattern that has been modeled in the past by Paul for him. And so notice with me that Timothy is to continue both in what he's learned from Paul in the past and others, but also what he has learned from his childhood exposure to the sacred writings. These are to, these are to have been the two big shaping influences on Timothy from his past. Number one, other Christians like Paul, and number two, the scriptures, the sacred writings. And it's worth noting here that Paul's gospel, or what is sometimes called the apostolic gospel, the gospel as passed down directly by the apostles who were eyewitnesses to Jesus, this gospel is perfectly consistent with the sacred writings, with the Old Testament scriptures. What we're seeing here is it's the combination of what Timothy has learned of God in Paul's life and teaching and what he has learned from the sacred writings, the scriptures in his childhood, this combination of what he has learned from other Christians, from the scriptures themselves, that's to inform Timothy's approach to his Christian life. And so what we see is that God works simultaneously through his word and through other Christians to reveal himself to his people. And if you're a Christian here tonight, the apostolic gospel in the scriptures has had a life-changing impact on your life in the past, and it's likely to have done so both through the influence of other Christians, who you can probably call to mind, and through the scriptures themselves. And just as Timothy is to recall here what he has learned from Paul and from his childhood, so too are we to recall and just give thanks for this life-changing impact of the gospel in our lives as we face the challenges of today. And so I guess it begs the question, I wonder what you would consider as the most life-changing moments in your life. Take a brief moment with me even now just to reflect and look back on your life as a whole and consider the moments that you would say have been most influential, those turning points. Maybe it was a particular job opportunity or the decision to do a particular course at university that really turned things around. Or maybe it was a relationship you chose to pursue or not to pursue. And these things are important, and it's important to try and make those big decisions in life wisely. But what we see here is that the most important thing to have happened in our pasts as Christians is that we have learned and firmly believed things of God from the Scriptures. That's been the most life-changing moment in Timothy's life, that moment that God graciously revealed himself to him, or those series of moments through his acquaintance with the sacred writings. And that's the most life-changing moment for us too, that moment that God graciously opened our eyes to see something of his beauty, his goodness, that moment that he granted us the gift of faith and united us to Christ by that faith. Now, some of us, we can remember the day and hour that we did first clearly come to recognize our sinfulness before our holy God, that single, wonderful, life-transforming moment that we put our trust in Jesus for our salvation. But for some of us, this will have been probably a more gradual process, um, one where we were just gradually acquainted with the scriptures, and we don't recall a moment when we first put our trust in the Lord. And it seems that this is really the case for people who really have been acquainted with the scriptures throughout their childhood, like Timothy. 
and you'll know which of those two categories you fit into. Uh, but Paul here doesn't encourage Timothy to you know, pick out a specific moment when he was saved, if Timothy could even identify one. No, what matters most at this point in the letter is that in the past, Timothy has firmly believed in God. And he is to call to mind the fact that from early in life, he's been acquainted with the scriptures which have made him, there notice the wording, wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And that brings us to the question then of how is it that the scriptures made Timothy wise for salvation? How is it that the scriptures have made us wise for salvation if we're Christians here tonight? How does this come about? Um, Well, John Stott really helpfully summarizes this for us, um, and he says this, Since the Bible is a book of salvation, and since salvation is through Christ, the Bible focuses its attention upon Christ. The Old Testament foretells and foreshadows him in many and various ways. The Gospels tell the story of his birth and life, his words and works, his death and resurrection. The Acts describe what he continued to do and teach through his chosen apostles, The epistles declare the full glory of his person and work and apply it to the life of the Christian and the church, while the revelation depicts Christ sharing the throne of God now and coming soon to consummate his salvation and judgment. This comprehensive portrayal of Jesus Christ is intended to elicit our faith in him in order that by faith we may be saved. Um, So that's a long quotation there, but I'm sure you agree that Stott's description of this really helpfully just unpacks the holistic nature of how all the sacred writings of scriptures contain everything necessary for us to be made wise for salvation. So we've seen that Timothy is reminded that God's word has been of vital importance in his past, making him wise for salvation. And we've reflected on the fact that if we're Christians here tonight, Learning of the God of the Scriptures is the most significant thing that has happened to us in our pasts. But if you're not a Christian here tonight, you're so welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Being faced with the reality of the God of the Scriptures is the most significant moment in your life, too. And the reality of the God of the Scriptures is the most important thing that we have to grapple with as human beings that have been created and placed here on earth. And the decision that you make about what to do with the God of the scriptures, that's the most life-defining decision that you will be faced with. And so we're asked, will we acknowledge our sinfulness as made clear to us through these sacred writings? We're asked, if we'll firmly believe in him who came, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will we believe that he came to bear the sins of many, to bear your sin in his death, that he was resurrected defeating death and bringing life and immortality to light for those who believe. And if that's something that you're here tonight and you would like to explore further, um, you can explore that by being and becoming acquainted with the scriptures, which contain everything necessary for us to know him and be made wise for salvation. Our Bibles, this book, it contains everything we need to have life and life to the full, doesn't it? And you can explore these things here with us at Great Vic. We'd love to walk through the scriptures with you if you're not a Christian here tonight. Um, So if that's you this evening, please do not leave here tonight without speaking to us. Uh, Speak to me, to Steve, uh, to one of the elders, to someone you know. 
And we'd love nothing more than to help you come to know Christ this evening and to enjoy all the benefits that come to us through faith in him. Um, But just before we move on, uh, there's just one more point of application that I want us to see from verses 14 and 15. And in these verses, if you look with me, you'll see, we see Paul draw Timothy's attention to how he's been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood. And earlier in the letter, Paul actually specifically mentions Timothy's mother and grandmother. Um, So if you flick back with me, um, just to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And look briefly with me at verse 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. We read there, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And this verse, along with what we're seeing in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, this verse really reminds us of the importance of striving to teach our children and grandchildren the things of the Scriptures. So those of you who are parents and grandparents out there, God can do powerful things through your efforts to have your children and grandchildren acquainted with the Scriptures. And for all of us here in the church family at Great Vic, whether we're parents or grandparents or not, the young people in our midst can be made wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus as God works through us seeking to acquaint them with the scriptures. And this gets us thinking about our Sunday school and our crash ministries, doesn't it? And maybe an application then that we can take away from this evening is just the importance of seeking to pray regularly for those involved in teaching the things of God to the young among us here at Great Vic. Being acquainted with the scriptures from a young age is just such a wonderful gift. And we should seek to acquaint the young among us with the truths of God's word as a key part of that passing the gospel on to the next generation. Um, So I trust that we've seen something there in those verses of how God's word has been essential in our pasts as Christians and how the scriptures are vital in those early steps along the journey that is the Christian life. If we're to be those who grow into mature, flourishing Christians. But let's look on now to how God's word is essential for our flourishing as Christians in the steps that we're taking now, here and now, in the present. Section two then of our wee structure. Number two, an exhortation for the present. Brothers and sisters, if we're to be those who guard gospel truth in our context today, which seems to be ever-changing, if we're to be those who can suffer resolutely, for the name of Christ and stand firm in the face of opposition, if we're to be those who pursue holiness, that countercultural, godly character to embody gospel culture here at Great Vic, if we're to be and do those things, then we need God's word continually, every step of the way. And to see why this is, look with me at verses 16 and 17 of our text for tonight. And we'll read there. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is so much to see in these verses, but we see that God equips and completes his people through the scriptures. The scriptures, God's word, it's his means for doing these things in his people. Through the scriptures, God does his work of equipping us 
for every good work that he has prepared beforehand for us and his work of completing us, of bringing us to that final day when we shall see Jesus and when we shall finally and fully be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So let me ask you some questions on this. Do you want to be equipped? Do you want to be equipped for the challenges of your Monday morning tomorrow? Do you want to be equipped to serve the Lord on your summer camp or as you embark on life in the ministry? Uh, Do you want to be equipped to face the uncertainties of life? Maybe the uncertainties of a health appointment that's been causing you some anxiety? Do you want to be complete? Is that something you hunger for, to progress towards maturity? Do you want to persevere, to flourish as you put off the deeds of your sin-sick old self and put on Christ? If so, if you want to be and do any of those things, and I know that I do, then we will need a regular diet of God's Word. And we'll need that teaching, that reproof, that correction, that training in righteousness that God will do for us through the means of his written word, the scriptures. And as we look at these verses 16 and 17, we see that they teach us that the scriptures are a means that God the Holy Spirit uses to do his work of sanctification in us. They're a means by which he, the Holy Spirit, enables us to make progress in the Christian life in that work of sanctification. He enables us to become more godly, to increasingly put off sin and put on Christ, to put on holiness. We read there that he trains us in righteousness through the scriptures. There are also a means through which he reproves and corrects us, we see, and in this reproof and correction and through this training in righteousness, we're made complete, we're brought to completion, and we're equipped for everything that life can throw at us. But as we consider how it is that the Lord works in us through his word to achieve these things, look with me just at the start of verse 16 there, which reads, all scripture is breathed out by God. And that breathed out by God is literally God-spirated. And the Holy Spirit is the living breath of God, as we'll sing later. And these verses teach us that the scriptures too have been breathed out by God. So our Bibles, the scriptures, it's no ordinary book. Brothers and sisters, these are life-giving words that have been breathed out by the God who breathed life into Adam. This is breathed out by the life-giving God of the universe, these words in the scriptures. And it's important to note briefly too, just as we look at these verses and examine them, that this is a verse from which we derive the doctrine of the infallibility of scripture. Um, This verse, along with others, has us conclude that the Spirit of God inspired all the biblical authors in both the Old and New Testaments, so that the entirety of the Scriptures have the purity and perfection of God on every page. This teaches us of the inerrancy of Scripture. The Scriptures contain no errors as originally given. And we can trust then that every word is God's given to us, so that we might be made complete, equipped for every good work, we might be made able to live out the purposes that he has created us for. Um, And the fact that the scriptures are breathed out by God here, it also reminds us of this truth, that the scriptures are living and active. And we see this elsewhere in the Bible too, don't we? Like in Hebrews 4 verse 12, where we read, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul 
and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we see in that verse that the word of God is likened to a sword. And then with that, it's helpful for us to remember how Paul describes the word of God in Ephesians 6, that armor of God passage, where Paul says there that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. And so as we bring all of that together and try to synthesize it, we see that God's spirit works through his two-edged sword. He wields that sword, which is the living and active breathed out word of God, and he wields that sword as he does good works in us for our good and for his glory. And so at this point, we ask ourselves, do we recognize how powerful God's word is? Do we grasp just how powerfully the Holy Spirit can and does work through our times of Bible reading? The Holy Spirit works through the word of God to make us complete, to train us for righteousness, to equip us for whatever comes our way, and to make us wise for salvation. Brothers and sisters, we can't neglect the spiritual discipline of Bible reading if we want, if we as people want the Holy Spirit to do a good work in us. So let's be those who live as though God's word is essential, powerful, essential for our health and growth as Christians. And let's just prayerfully invite the Spirit to work powerfully through the time that we spend in the scriptures. But as we offer up that prayer, though, that the Spirit would come and do a good work in us through the Word, we do have to be careful because we could fall into the danger where we offer that prayer up and then just let go and wait patiently for God to transform us. But no, we're not to do that um, because we're to give ourselves to that spiritual discipline of Bible reading. And I want us to see just exactly why from the Word we can give ourselves to that work of Bible reading rather than just letting go and letting God the Holy Spirit bring forth his fruit in us. And the reasons for this is because the spiritual discipline of Bible reading, it's one of the ways that we are to respond to that command that we see in the word to walk in the spirit. We're to be those who keep in step with the spirit you'll have heard and we're to do that here and now, day by day in our Christian lives. And those of you who are around for the end of our morning series in Galatians um, a couple of months back, you might remember thinking about this together when we were in Galatians chapter 5. And that's a portion of scripture that teaches us that while our sanctification is all of grace, there is to be this activity about us as we seek to walk in the Spirit, to obey the command of the scriptures, to keep in step with God the Holy Spirit. But what do I mean by that idea that there's to be like an activity about us in that? Well, in Galatians 5, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. That's what that passage is really sort of famous for, and you may know it for that. Um, But note there that these are the fruit of the Spirit. They're not the works of the Spirit. Um, If all those characteristics, the love, joy, peace, patience, etc., if they were the works of the Spirit, that would imply that We're passive in the process, just allowing the Spirit to do His work in our lives. But no, the fact that they are fruit in and of itself, that doesn't imply imply this activity um, about us. And Steve reminded us then really helpfully that that fruit must be cultivated. Fruit doesn't just sort of grow on its own without cultivation. The tree needs to be pruned. The soil needs to be tended if good fruit is to be brought forth. 
But we must check ourselves with that too and remember that the fact that their fruit also teaches us of the importance of the source of the fruit, the tree or the vine. These fruit cannot grow independently of the vine. We will not be fruitful, severed from Christ. Um, These fruit are brought forth by the Spirit only through our union with Christ, who's the true vine. Um, So we see in all of that that our progression towards maturity our bearing the fruit of the Spirit, our pursuit of godliness, and our being made complete from these verses in 2 Timothy. We're not passive. We've got a role to play in all of this. We're to walk in the Spirit and keep in step with Him. And one of the primary ways that we do that, one of the primary ways that we keep in step with the Spirit is by regular Bible reading. We need to recognize that God works powerfully through our daily regular Bible reading, and that we need that if we're to be fruitful. If he's to transform us, to bring forth his fruit in us, to bring us to completion, we'll need that regular diet of God's word. Um, But that's been a lot, and so at this point, I'd love to ask you, how does thinking about all of this make you feel? Um, Does it increase your appetite for the word, or does it actually leave you feeling a bit discouraged, um, feeling that we're not doing a great job as Christians? Um, I know for me that even as I preach this, I recognize that I don't come to the word as I ought to. Um, We need to recognize that this book has everything we need to flourish in this troubled world. And it can equip us to deal with every challenge that can come our way in life. But yet I know for me, I'm still so often so distracted with so many other things, so many of which do so little for me. Um, If you're anything like me, you'll know that it's so easy to just reach for our phones at the start of the day and lose 10 minutes sort of doom-scrolling through various apps, and that's before we even get out of bed. And I know that that just isn't good for me to do that, Um, but yet it's so hard to fight against, isn't it? Um, So maybe you're with me, and if so, let's seek to be praying, even tonight, that God would just rekindle that appetite for his word, um, and that he would help us to just resolve again to start our days in his word. Wouldn't that be a better way to get our days started Um, So whatever time we'll be in the Word, whether that's in the morning or the evening, let's just seek to be those who hunger and thirst for more of the good things that God can do in us through His Word. Um, So in that, yeah, I'm really conscious. I don't want us to despair as we do reflect in our Christian lives. Um, Our God, He knows our weaknesses. He knows that our appetites for Him are often dull, and yet He graciously doesn't crush us. He knows that for some of us, the season we're in has lots of competing demands, but our God is one who doesn't break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. He knows our needs. He knows what we're facing each day. And in this, he invites us to cast our anxieties onto him day by day because he cares for us. So don't despair if, like me, you feel your Bible reading is not up to scratch. That's not an indication of your status before God. It does not take away his smile that is upon you if you're in Christ Jesus. But even in spite of that, let's just not neglect his means for just blessing us and equipping us to face the challenges of every day. And let's just seek with his help to resolve again to come to the word regularly and see it as essential for our flourishing and our progress in godliness. So we've seen then how Timothy reminds Timothy, or no, how Paul reminds Timothy, sorry, initially to consider what he has learned and firmly believed in the past, and how the sacred writings made him wise for salvation. 
We've seen something of how we need the Scriptures in the present, day by day, if we're to flourish and grow as Christians. And we, like Timothy, are to remember we've seen that the Scriptures are breathed out by God. They're living, active, powerful, a means through which our God equips us to face everything that we face day by day. But now we'll um, consider how we're encouraged to just continue to prioritize Bible reading on into our futures um, as we look ahead to the months and years that may lie ahead for us, if God spares us. So section three there, an encouragement for the future. So look with me then at that start of verse um, 14 again. We read there, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, Timothy. And note the but as for you at the start of this verse. The but there, it always forces us to look at what's come just before, doesn't it? And we see there that Timothy is to be in contrast to those who are mentioned in verse 13. And there Paul tells Timothy that there are evil people and imposters in his day. Timothy's not to be like them. Timothy, in contrast to these false teachers, is to continue in sound doctrine, in biblical truth, in what he has learned from Paul and others in his past. And a helpful concept that illustrates this uh, contrast in 2 Timothy is how Paul describes two particular false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, in chapter 2 of the letter, verses 17 and 18. And these men are there described to have swerved from the truth. They have deviated off the straight path of sound doctrine. And this little description, it actually got me thinking of the satnav in the car. I wonder if you use uh, satnav often. And they're great if you're going somewhere new for the first time or if you're not really sure exactly where you're going. And they can also be great for entertainment as they tend to have all sorts of different accents and dialects um, which you can choose for a voiceover. Um, but they came to mind because of what happens with the satnav whenever we take a wrong turn. And if we take a wrong turn, the satnav will readjust our route and help us to get back to the path that we're supposed to be on. If we go really wrong, it'll make us do a U-turn and probably keep shouting at us until we do. Um, and it'll help us to get back to where we're supposed to be going. And I thought that this illustrates something of how the Word of God corrects us too. If we're swerving from the truth or if we're in danger of going the wrong way in life even, God, through his word, can reprove and correct us and bring us back to that narrow way, that path of flourishing in the Christian life. So Timothy is not to be like false teachers, imposters, people like Hymenaeus and Philetus. He is not to deviate away from rightly handling or cutting straight the word of God. He's to continue in what he has learned and firmly believed from Paul and others in the past. And so are we. Um, if we want to remain faithful in the Christian life, we are to continue in what we have learned and firmly believed. And we do this by coming back again and again to the same old story. We come back to the gospel, that apostolic gospel, as presented in the scriptures. And we come back too to the law and prophets, which just teach us so much of the character of God, show us our sinfulness, point to the one who is coming, who can redeem and restore us. And we do this, we keep coming back to the scriptures because we're taught in verse 16 here of 2 Timothy 3 that the scriptures are useful for reproof and correction. And this also suggests that none of us are immune to the possibility of a wrong turn 
of wavering from the truth in the future. And this ought to just foster in us a deep humility in our approach to the Scriptures. We need to be approaching our Bible reading with the posture that we may not have our theological systems all figured out perfectly. And we need to let God's Word take the lead. We need to sit under the authority of God's Word, never imposing our preconceived ideas or our systems onto the text, but always just being driven, sitting under, being reproved, corrected by the Word of God. Um, So we must take care that we don't swerve away from the truth like Hymenaeus and Philetus. And with that, we must be on the lookout for false teaching as well. And we'll see again in 2 Timothy 2, actually verse 18, that the reason we do this is so that our faith is not upset. These verses imply that our faith will be upset if we begin to absorb false teaching. And you'll see there, if you look at verse 18 of 2 Timothy 2 again, that the swerving away from the truth of Hymenaeus and Philetus was upsetting the faith of some. So if we're to ensure that our faith is not upset and that the faith of our brothers and sisters around us is not upset, then we must continue in what we have learned and believed, not swerving away. And we do that by resolving with the help of God to keep coming back to his word, which just corrects, reproves us, and keeps us on that straight path. And so with that, then we've seen that the word of God has this preserving effect on us. It's one of God's means for enabling and equipping his people to remain faithful to him and to his truth in the long term, and one of his means for enabling his people to persevere to the end, that long obedience in the same direction. And the word is one of God's means then for protecting God's people from the upsetting effects of false teachers which abound. So given these things, let's aspire just to keep at the forefront of our minds corporately as great Vic, that God's word will be essential for us if we're to remain on that straight path and not swerve away into false teachings. So we see that we'll never graduate from our need of the correcting and preserving effects of God's word. We'll need sound teaching every step of the way. And we can also see that if you look just ahead at 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, We read there that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And if you look at the little footnote that's hopefully in your Bible, um, just beside the word sound in that verse three there, uh, your footnote may say that that word can also literally be translated healthy. So what we see there is sound teaching is healthy teaching. So if we want to be and remain healthy Christians over the long haul, then we'll need sound teaching. We'll need teaching from those who haven't swerved from the truth of the scriptures. And I think we all want to be physically healthy as well, don't we? And just as if we're to have healthy bodies, we need to pay attention to our bodies and not neglect them. We need to try and eat as well as we can and exercise regularly and do our best to watch our weight and see a doctor if we're sick, just as we're to tend to our physical health and we can't neglect it, so too, and how much more must we tend to our spiritual health? If we neglect communion with God, Bible reading, prayer, we shouldn't be surprised if our spiritual health deteriorates. Um, Paul reminds us in his first letter to Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 8 there, he says that bodily training is of some value, 
But godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So brothers and sisters, your physical health is important, important to work at, to strive to maintain, to steward as well as we can, but even more important is our spiritual health, our godliness. Godliness holds value not only for this life, but also the life to come. And godliness is the place which we flourish, living as God intended us to live. And that's where we'll delight most in life, in God, and in his good gifts. So to be spiritually healthy and godly, we need to aspire to hold to sound, healthy doctrine every step of the way. And we'll not drift into this spiritual health. We'll need to cultivate that close communion with God through regular Bible reading so that in the work of the Spirit, our characters will become more Christ-like. We need that training in righteousness brought about by God's Word, and we need that healthy, sound teaching. So let's yearn for that um, from the pulpit and from our teachers. Let's yearn too, brothers and sisters, to be those who can just help and encourage one another to be spiritually healthy and godly on into the future together. And we can do that by seeking to be those who can just speak a word in season to one another. We can encourage and serve one another by just being familiar enough with the word, with the scriptures, so that we can point one another to helpful verses that just, you know, speak into the situations that each of us are facing. We can really love and serve one another in doing that, and we can really spur one another on in that, in godliness, even challenging and correcting one another sometimes with gentleness when we see a brother or sister veering off the path as well. But as we consider that, let's remember again that we don't do any of that in our own strength. Remember how we saw that it was God's Spirit who powerfully does all of these works in us through that living, active, breathed out Word of God. In light of that truth, we can pray and just press on with such hope, remembering what Paul writes to the Philippians. Um, He writes there, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So be assured, if you're a Christian here tonight, press on, work out your salvation with fear and trembling as you read your Bible, but be assured God will be at work in you through his word to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as we draw things just to a close now, let's summarize what we've seen in this short text this evening. We're reminded that what we learned in our pasts is vital to call to mind if we're to flourish and live well for God as Christians, live out our calling that he has placed on each of us. We're reminded that the fact that we've come to know God is of immense significance And we now have that hope of being made complete by him, brought to the end by him. We saw how Timothy and us were exhorted in this text to recognize that God just works powerfully through his word now in the here and now, day by day. He does that to sort of teach us sound, healthy doctrine, enabling us to flourish Christ-like character. The word of God is vital for both, vital for healthy gospel teaching, vital for cultivating Christ-like character. And then we were encouraged to just continue in what we have learned, to yearn with God's help, to press on into the future, holding fast to this sound, healthy doctrine, not swerving away from his truth. And hopefully you've seen with me that there's great hope in these verses, that hope that God graciously does work through his word in us to preserve his people, to reprove and correct us so that we remain faithful to him on into the future. And hopefully we've been reminded too that just to receive those blessings, there does need to be that activity about us as well, 
We need to be saturating ourselves in the scriptures so that the Spirit can train us for righteousness, bring us to maturity and completion. So brothers and sisters, everything we need to flourish in the Christian life is found in the scriptures. And let's rejoice together that God does work powerfully through his written word by the power of his Spirit. Let's have that be our hope, our solid rock, our motivation for just hungering and thirsting for more of the word of God every step of the way in our Christian lives. And as we consider all of that, we really can say with the Apostle Peter, can't we? Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've acquainted those of us who know you with these sacred writings and that you've made us wise for salvation through them. Thank you that your word is living and active and that your spirit is powerfully working through your word in each of us to equip us for what you've called us to. Please, Father, help us to increasingly be people of the book. Help us to be men and women of the word, able to encourage one another with its truth and able to spur one another on in our walks with you. We pray that you would train us in righteousness and that you would indeed bring us to completion through your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so we're now gonna respond by singing a prayer to the Holy Spirit, the living breath of God. So let's stand and sing together as the musicians play.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would indeed cause your word to come alive in each of us. As we go out of here this evening, give us a passion for your purity so that we might long to see more of you in your word. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of your God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.